Hey, I'm Virginia Heffernan. What you're about to hear is a preview of today's episode, which is in its entirety, it's exclusive for Slate Plus members only. I'm sad if you're not able to hear the whole thing because it is a great interview with the great Dave Eggers, the author of a new allegory about Trump called The Captain and the Glory. I know that you've heard me talk about Slate Plus before, but it's just time to sign up. As a member, you'll get to hear all the shows, including this one, ad-free, and you get bonus segments and episodes and digital swag of all kinds. But perhaps most importantly, you'll be supporting all the work we do here at Trumpcast, especially as we move forward into this coming election. So head over to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus to sign up. Thanks so much for listening. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Okay, as soon as this podcast is over, I hope you'll buy or download or otherwise acquire the book, The Captain and the Glory. This is the latest from my guest today, Dave Eggers. I'm going to have to say it to you more even than I'm going to say it to him because I have just too much praise for this book. The Captain and the Glory is a very short allegorical novella but it's capacious enough for all of your emotions about this period in history. From amusement to grief to irony to horror, the, the vast array of sensations and emotions you've experienced since, since Trump's election or since his campaign, all of this and more is somehow captured in The Captain and the Glory. It ex- I experienced it as a very generous book. So think of Animal Farm or Philip Roth's kind of awful satire, Our Gang, about Nixon. You don't even have to look back at them. You know they're dry and distant and tart, and at best often worthy instruction about how horrible other people are. Animal Farm is a great book, Our Gang less great, but in any case, The Captain and the Glory is totally different. It's the strange, sad story of a venerable ship, that's the glory, whose passengers got swept up in madness and put a base and peevish insomniac at the wheel. And the ship doesn't just lose its way. It loses the means of finding its way. It loses its crew, its navigation equipment, and anyone who remembered what the glory used to be. And I can't bear to say what happens next, because it's both as bad as you can imagine and ultimately almost a hallucination of hope. You'll see. But before you settle in to read, joining me on the line is the author of The Captain and the Glory, Dave Eggers. Dave, welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm just very, very happy to talk to you. And I think this is the first time that I've emerged from a complete immersion in a book, only to have the author come alive, you know, be able to talk to you. It's almost uncanny. I mean, I just don't do book interviews that often. But what I mean to say is I have been completely captivated by The Captain and the Glory and had to see how it came out almost as urgently as I want to see how the Trump administration is going to come out. Right, right. Well, you get the luxury of writing an ending with a book like that. So I did it for my own therapeutic pur- purposes. Um, I got to sort of write the ending I, I hope happens, or I wish for. I know it's phrased in, as hysterical and satire, but I, I found it a great repository for a certain grief. 
that so many of us have felt for these years. And I know we're not supposed to sound defeatist and we're supposed to charge on, but since I'm represented in your book as one of the kind, I, I think I probably fall in the category of one of the, God, tell me again, I know the names of most of the tribes, but this one I've forgotten. Kindly mutineers. Kindly mutineers, exactly. All we're doing is writing and complaining. <laughs> on the other hand, we wish that we could overthrow this. And that is, you know, a wish we live with. Well, I like you saying grief. I think that I agree with that. I hadn't, I had not attached that word to the to the era, but it's totally apt. I think we are grieving, and you know, in in it, in the book, there's a group that's sort of catatonic. Not even they don't, they can't even act enough as, uh, to be part of the kindly mutineers who are very gently trying to yeah. uh, remove this uh, unstable new captain. But then there's those that are so catatonic and so so just tragically disappointed in their compatriots that they can't even get out of bed. And I think I sometimes fall into that category. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a kindly tonic, like a catatonic yeah. and kind at the same time. Right. So tell about the different groups that greet the kind of strange arrival of this captain. I should say for listeners, it's uh, I think it's a little bit like Animal Farm, this book. It's hard to say. It's allegory much more than satire, and very few names are used outright, least of all Trump. So anyway, the story is that there's been a great admiral, and he's died, and someone needs to take over. And so this guy that wears a yellow feather, who's widely considered ridiculous, but slightly an unknown quantity, is put at the captain's table, put at the wheel of the ship called the Glory. Maybe then you can tell us what happens. Well, you know, the people that nominate him, well, he nominates himself for the job, even though he's never touched the wheel of a ship. He doesn't like ships. He's demeaned every previous captain and doesn't want to be there in the first place. He spends all of his days selling cheap souvenirs by the pool and trying to get upskirt photos near the women's locker room. Yes. And he hangs out with a group of guys that call themselves the upskirt boys. And he thinks it's uh, sort of a good joke to nominate himself as the captain. And somehow the idea of shaking things up yeah. becomes chant and a mantra and, and an idea that has kind of pranksterish appeal for a good portion of the passengers on, this is sort of a cruise ship um, that they're all living on. And it gains momentum, and even his closest friends, the upskirt boys, can't believe that anyone's taking it seriously, and they're sort of chuckling to themselves. But then he is elected, and the people that nominated and voted for him are sort of become known as the most foul, because mm -hmm. the young girl said, you know, how can we elect the most foul among us? So his supporters call themselves the most foul they dress in chicken costumes uh, to fully embrace uh, the identity. And um, then the captain goes about destroying everything sacred about the ship and, and demeaning and degrading every ideal, everything sacred, everything uh, meaningful, mm -hmm. and leading them to imminent destruction. He's agitated by the presence of virtue. That's one of the first things we learn about him yeah. is how much he dislikes the admiral that preceded him as captain. And I jumped to the conclusion and I don't want to I don't want to make you I don't know if anyone pushed Orwell on Animal Farm, but I don't want to push you to make the connections, but uh, I'll make them myself. I assumed that you had in mind Obama and thinking who he took the ship from. But as it emerges, it's someone closer to John McCain. Yeah, it's a blending of those two guys. For okay. Sure. Obama had not 
served in the military, but the admiral had been a war hero who had sort of saved the ship from, you know, enemy takeover at a time when the captain was hiding in the bowels of the ship reading pornography. Yeah. Four years, right? He was down there valiantly jerking off to whatever. Yeah. He (laughs) considers himself quite heroic for having hidden for four years and he could have gotten caught and that was a great personal risk to himself. (laughs) Yeah. One of the really unsavory things about this president, I mean, captain, is that he is also given a certain amount of pleasure, erotic well-being from the presence of his daughter. Those scenes and some of the scenes where you kind of get into the eros and agitation of the captain's mind are just extremely disturbing and compelling at once and have explanatory power for me. Anyway, tell me about the captain's relation to his daughter. Well, I have it that he really doesn't, he doesn't trust anybody, doesn't like anybody really, but there is one woman on the ship that he covets and finds so beautiful and um, magnetic that he wants to be around her all the time. So when he, after he fires Everyone on the deck, first mates and engineers and navigators, everybody that knows how to run the ship, he dismisses. Uh, he finds himself alone and needing help, and he uh, says, "Why?" Well, immediately, this woman that he's been eyeing for a time comes to mind as somebody he wants to he wants to be near. So he asks her if she'll help him and sort of serve as de facto first mate, and she says, "Okay, Dad." Yeah. If Trump were known only for this very bizarre, impossible to fictionalize or satirize relationship with his daughter, Mm -hmm. that would be, you know, more than enough to completely, I think, creep everybody out and make him just immediately disqualified as a a leader, a moral uh, leader. I mean, any office, whether it was mayor of a very small city in Idaho or anything else, it would just not be considered at all acceptable but um, the fact that this is in plain sight at all times um, is just beyond uh, comprehension. So I, you know, the, the the beauty of like allegory like this is just trying to remind, simplify things a little bit, and remind yeah. people of some of the most glaring, unsatirizable parts of uh, the moment we're living through. So I eliminated a lot of the characters around him and sort of concentrated on a few, like the daughter. So that was a preview. Aren't you excited to hear more from Dave Eggers? You can. Just go to Slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus to hear the rest of the episode and get all the benefits of Slate Plus members.